Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Here's producer Sonia Sly with a story called More Than Just a Picture. Yeah, those are trees. And what's this here? And that's a little house. Whose house is that? Our house. Okay, and what are those green things? Eggs. That's our cat. His name's Walking Cat. Hi, I'm Sonia Sly. And that was my six-year-old son who loves to draw. You're screaming... It is because his foot is on your head. Those are your feathers. This is your beak. One of the big claims has been that there is more to children's art than just a picture on a page, that there is some psychological content that, as adults, we can glean by looking at what children have drawn. And this is... Harleen Hain, and I'm the Vice-Chancellor here at the University of Otago, and I'm also Professor of Psychology here. And over the past two decades, Professor Hain has been looking at children's drawings and techniques that could be used in interviews in clinical and legal settings. One of those ways is referred to as projective drawing. And in that context, what happens is the interviewer, an adult, asks a child to produce a picture, and then the adult infers something about the child on the basis of what the child has drawn. The emphasis is only on the drawing, not on what the child has said about it while they're being interviewed. And the most common claim that is made is that um, children's drawings, particularly of a human figure, provide a proxy measure of their cognitive development or their IQ. Which sounds like a bit of a stretch. Or is it? Almost 100 years ago, people started to realise that children's drawings of the human figure progressed in a very consistent manner. Beginning at about the age of three or four, children start to try to represent the human figure. And what that looks like in this case is a bug. It's called a tadpole drawing because the child constructs both the head and the body with a central feature, and then they attach some limbs onto the side. So here you can see a picture produced by a four-and-a-half-year-old where the child begins to draw separate shapes for the head and the trunk. The drawing still has some huge immaturities. It has no nose. At least it's got eyes and it looks like a smile. It does. As adults, we would recognize that as a human figure. Children do understand that bodies have arms and legs and eyes and ears, um, but their ability to depict that in a two-dimensional space goes through this very traditional pattern of progress. Now we start to see some other things, like this one has things that look like ears, possibly, and hair. And even flowery-looking shapes at the end of the arms. These are fingers. Part of that is due to the motoric immaturity of a young child. So this is a little girl. She's got a flower on her dress. Got um, eyebrows. She's got ears. She's got hair. No she's nose. got shoes. <laughs> yeah, still no nose. In Western cultures, if we look at children's drawings, they tend to move through these very rigid stages. But 
within a given age, there is a huge individual difference in the quality of children's drawings. Professor Haynes says children start to draw more fully formed human beings when they're around 11 or 12 years old. For literally almost 100 years now, some psychologists have argued that it is possible to infer a child's intelligence on the basis of their drawing. I mean, there is a history of the great masters who were very artistically talented and probably also very intellectually gifted as well. Leonardo da Vinci, Pablo Picasso, but those are the extremes. We can't use that information to infer that in an average population of children, we would be able to pluck those out who might need additional support in the classroom or those who might need extension activities on the basis of what they've drawn. There's also another way that Professor Hain has looked at children's drawings as a means of facilitating children's communication. Children are asked to describe an event or an experience, and while they're doing that, they are given the opportunity to to draw. So we've looked at, um, in our research, whether or not um, the opportunity to draw while answering questions actually increases the amount of information that children report. Again, over the last 20 or so years, we have taken literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children um, on a range of different events um, and then interviewed them about those experiences. We're talking pony rides, trips to the Cadbury Chocolate Factory, the Albatross Colony, police and fire stations. You know, those kind of memorable experiences. And the point of all these experiences is to really build a memory for a child. And this is how the process worked. We then interviewed them a day later, a week later, a month later, a year later. So we have the opportunity to test what the children say against what actually happened. So it's really important in these studies that we draw the link between what the child is drawing about and the nature of the interview. Some of the children were asked a series of questions about the trip, while another group were given felt markers and a large piece of paper. This group were asked to draw and talk about their experience of the field trip. They draw part of the event and explain what's happening, and then they might go back and augment it. We take children on buses to events, and children will draw the bus, and they'll say, this is the bus, and then they'll go on to speak about something else, and then they'll say, oh, I remember, I was sitting in this seat on the bus, and then they'll draw themselves, and the bus driver was here, and he was wearing a green cap. It's like an adult's version of ticking items off a list. Now, what they've found is that children who were given the opportunity to draw while being interviewed reported back more information than their peers who were simply recounting the experience while being asked the same set of questions. So you usually get about twice as much information from a child who is drawing than one who is not. Is it about recall and is it about the act of doing something physical then triggers memory. One possibility is that children use the drawing to keep track of what they have and haven't said, which is more difficult to do if you're simply telling a story. And there were some additional benefits to this interviewing technique too. It makes the interviews longer. It makes children and interviewers much more comfortable. And it increases the amount of silence that people are willing to endure during an interview without putting too much pressure on either the child or the interviewer. The interviewer actually becomes much more comfortable with silence, sitting back and allowing the child to think a little bit more carefully about the things that they haven't yet expressed. All of those happen when you're interviewing a child withdrawing. Which one of those particular mechanisms is most important in the drawing technique? We're still trying to answer that question.
The other projective tests that are commonly used on children's drawings is to get children to draw a picture of something and then draw inferences about the child's emotional state on the basis of the colors that they use in the drawing or the size of the objects that they produce in their drawings. They would be used in cases of custody and access, for example. So the placement of different family members on the page is one of these things that is often used to say, mom is over here, therefore she's outside the family, or dad is drawn very small. Small is either interpreted oftentimes as being really, really bad or really, really good. There's no consistent view about it. This takes me back to a drawing my son did at school last year. In the drawing, there's a tiny house in the corner. My son and his dad take up at least half the page. And he's also drawn me on the opposite side of the page. And between us is a massive black tornado. Not only that, but I'm half their size. And even our family cat, who died a year earlier, featured more prominently in the picture than I did. In trying to decipher the drawing at the time, I was perplexed. What did it all mean? How did it reflect his feelings towards me? And why did he place me on the other side of the page? Children under the age of about 10 place things on the page where they fit and as they think about them. That's a relief. Although our research doesn't directly address the issue of placement, other people have looked at placement, and it's really more a product of the child's motoric decisions about the drawing than about their psychological feelings about whatever it is that they are producing. Which is why it horrifies me to think that that could be used in court. Mm. That's really been the point of our research, is to take some fairly large claims about the psychological value of children's art and to systematically begin to test the hypotheses that would be generated if, in fact, this was the case. I made this at school and I put a piece of paint on a pencil, then I started ripping the pages. Well, scratching it out? Yeah, scratching it out. It's artwork. So I see green and yellow and red. It's because those are my favourite colours in the world. What is this picture of? It's a twinkly star. That's a tornado, that's a volcano. And speaking of colour... To test this hypothesis, my students and I have collected literally hundreds of drawings produced by children who've been asked to draw about positive emotional experiences and negative emotional experiences. In the case of the investigating whether or not children use color to express emotion, kids are given exactly the same 10 felt markers. They're spread out in front of them in a random order. They're asked to draw a picture of something that made them angry or happy or sad. They draw their picture and talk about it. And then we take the drawing away and determine whether or not children use particular colors preferentially when they're talking about things that make them happy versus things that make them sad versus things that make them angry. And what we found is that there's absolutely no way to discern the emotional content of the child's drawing on the basis of the size of the objects that they include in their pictures or on the basis of the colors that they used to depict whatever event that they're talking about. And there's no way for naive observers to look at the drawings and say, on the basis of the color, that child is describing something that made them sad or something that made them frightened. So do you think that that's something then that we as adults start to recognise or associate colour with an emotional feeling? Uh, Absolutely. Children do not spontaneously use colour to express their emotions about what they draw. So the next time your child pulls out a big black marker to draw your face with scribbles all over it, it's definitely not indicative of anything negative. But rather, children make choices about colour 
for different reasons. Because it may be the closest one, it may be the strongest one, it may be the one that they're particularly interested in. But I would absolutely not infer anything about the inner contents of his mind or his psychological well-being on the basis of the colours that he uses. But the question I have to ask is, why is it so complicated for us to understand children's drawings or even to have the desire to analyse them for something deeper? It is one of these areas of psychology where the evidence against using the technique is so massive, yet people continue to try to strive to find ways to validate its use. As adults, we're fascinated by children's artwork. It's colourful, it's imaginative. We're captivated by the inherent interestingness of children's artwork. So we, ha- we have to believe that there must be something else to it other than simply an interesting piece of art. That's love heart. Uh, that's flower. Those are clouds. I don't know what that is. And you've done this in green. Why did you choose that colour? So why do children draw? And what inspires them at any given time? After working with children for the last two decades, the biggest lesson that I have learned is that if you want to know something about a child, you need to ask them. It's impossible for us as adults to impart our adult view of the world and look at a piece of art that a child has produced and in the absence of any additional input from that child to infer anything about that particular individual. A big thanks to psychologist Harleen Hain from the University of Otago. And that story was produced by Sonia Sly with the help of her six-year-old. This Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 11th of July 2019. To listen again, just head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? There are plenty of other podcasts from RNZ available at the podcast page of rnz.co.nz, including Beyond Kate, which is Sonia Sly's gold medal-winning suffrage podcast. It won gold at the 2019 New York Festivals. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.